What's going on, guys? In this podcast, I want to talk about some current events sort of things going on right now in the NFL. First thing I want to talk about is the, of course, Sam Darnold trade to the Carolina Panthers. I want to touch on basically the rationale, what the likely rationale behind the move for Carolina and for the Jets, and then also the kind of potential ramifications for that for the next couple of years at least, and then also Teddy Bridgewater, what's going to happen with him, and then I also want to just at least briefly touch on the Deshaun Watson situation with everything that's going on with that. So Sam Darnold, right? We'll start off with him. Um, obviously is coming off of three consecutive underwhelming seasons, right? He, he just is. I mean, there's no – you can defend him until the cows come home or whatever. But the fact of the matter is he has played three years in the NFL at a average to below average level, you know, and, it, and, it, and particularly as it pertains to where he was drafted in the draft, it's a much – you know, he has disappointed. So Sam has somehow maintained one of the better reputations of any quarterback that you could possibly maintain after three years. I mean, Josh Rosen got one year and still was traded for a second round pick after that one awful rookie season. But then after that, we really didn't see him on the field very often. I think he played a couple games for the Dolphins in that year, but it was like they basically knew what they had. And that was that, right? And you could make the argument that Rosen came from a pretty bad situation as well. So now I understand Sam Darnold definitely came from uh, he didn't have great supporting cast. He didn't have great offensive lines. He didn't have great skill players around him. Not at all. Right. I mean, he didn't have very good ones. He didn't have ones that you would, you know, potentially succeed that you would expect big time success or big time splashing passing numbers from those offenses. OK, but we also didn't see anything that made us like all that encouraged, you know, we, we really didn't. Did we see flashes? Absolutely. Should we have seen more flashes? I think we should have, but I'm not ready to, I'm not ready to say Sam Darnold's done. What I am ready to say is he was done as a New York jet, right? He had, this had to happen for him to even have a chance at success. He had to go somewhere else because at this point, it just felt like no matter what you put there in terms of skill position players in New York, it just felt like it wasn't going to work. Right. So so I'm happy that that happened for Sam and uh, for the Jets as well, because, again, if you're just going to try and force a square peg into a round hole, it's just not going to work. Right. So so I'm happy that that happened for both sides. Now, as far as the compensation goes, a 2021 six rounder and then a next year two and a next year four. And at least as I've seen so far, it doesn't look like that's a conditional next year pick. It, it looks like those are just guaranteed. You know, so even if you cut Sam, you're still paying us a two and a four next year. Um, I'd have to say that's pretty damn good compensation, right? I mean, it really is because if on the Jets side of things, you knew you were taking Zach Wilson or whoever it is that you're taking because obviously if you trade Sam Darnold now, you're taking a quarterback. So we can end the speculation as far as that goes, of course, obviously. So that's number one. So number two, would this have been a better option? Let me just say, Pat Kerwin on this radio show I was listening to today said this, and I kind of like this option. Would you have rather seen the Jets, let's say, draft Zach Wilson at two, but then also let Sam Darnold start 2021, at least early on, and uh, but don't exercise the fifth-year option, so that way you're not, you know, you're not having to lock in all that money for him in 2022, but let him start 20, 2021, see what happens, kind of pave the way for Zach Wilson, and see if you can get yourself a situation similar to what the um, Chargers had with Drew Brees, where Drew Brees ended up 
you know, playing really well in Philip Rivers' rookie season. Then they ended up franchise tagging him, and then they ended up letting him walk, right? So you basically made it as seamless of a transition as possible. And nowadays, I'm not sure if they had him back then, but now even if you franchise tag Sam Darnold after his after uh, Zach Wilson's rookie season, you'd then be able to pick up a third-round compensatory pick for him and or – like if you let him walk after the year, you franchise him and or you'd be able to then just trade him while he's on the franchise tag. Right. And then and then go to Zach Wilson. So it it made some sense to me. I'm not saying I would have done it, but it did make sense when I heard that suggestion brought up by Pat Kerwin. But, um, you know, for me, I think that this is the right move for the Jets. Just get what you can get for him now, because that plan could also backfire. Like if he stinks, you don't get anything for him. You know, like you get zero compensation for him if you let him walk in. If you let a bad player walk in free agency, you don't get a third round compensatory pick. It's, you know, you, they have to sign for a certain amount of money. So for this, the Jets are able to lock in a two and a four next year. And, um, you know, essentially the value of that was similar to that of just like a second round pick this year. All those picks combined basically uh, amounted to a second rounder this year. So I think for the Panthers, when you look at why they would do this, for me, it makes perfect sense, right? They tried Teddy Bridgewater, and that didn't work. What did we learn from Carolina under Dave Tepper, the new owner? What did we learn about that situation? We learned that Carolina is going to be very quick to pull the plug on a situation, especially with a veteran quarterback, right, like Sam Darnold now going into his fourth season, Teddy Bridgewater going into, what, his seventh season or whatever it's been. You know, we've seen that they're not going to bullshit around. They're going to pull the plug if it doesn't work. They're Like with Sam Darnold, even though they're paying him that $18 million or whatever it amounts to be in 2022 under the option, fifth-year option bonus, I mean a uh, fifth-year option tag, they are going to pay him that regardless, right? But when you look at it, I think that makes it about $21 million for this year and next year. So you say, hey, look, we're going to have to exercise that because we want to protect ourselves in case Sam comes out and plays great. But – if it doesn't work, that means we pay him a total of $21 million over a two-year period. That's still, you know, what, $10.5 million a year. It's nothing crazy, you know, from that standpoint. And if he, even if he gets, like, even if he's just our backup in 2022, it's still not that crazy, you know, of a situation. So it's it, it seems like it when you look at it like, you're paying him $18 million for one year. But no, it's it's actually about $3 million this year, I believe, and then – 18 million next year. So again, 21 over two, 10 and a half a year. It's nothing terrible for a potentially starting quarterback. You'll at least be starting in 2021. So the upside of Sam Darnold is something that is that is definitely still a real thing, right? When when I remember my website is no longer up, I don't think my my website guide has not uh has kind of not been doing it. I, I don't really care. I don't I don't really care about the website anyways. But the point is I remember specifically in these, I used to write all the draft profiles and all the content like that. And for Sam Darnold, I remember the sentences I wrote on their roundabout was basically all the physical tools are there for him to be a franchise quarterback. But something, I wrote something along the lines of like from a, from the mental side of it, whether it be mental toughness, the ability to perform well in big games and, or the turnovers, because he, he undeniably had turnovers in college buyer beware that was what i said in a nutshell it's not maybe not an exact quote but very close to an exact quote that's what i said about sam darnold pre-draft okay it, it, you know does he have the physical tools yes he's got all the physical tools to be a legitimate franchise quarterback but it just seems like for whatever reason at least from my vantage point back then and really still right now 
it just wasn't all he didn't have that same it factor that a Justin Herbert has that a Joe Burrow has that a um, you know just certain guys that I feel have those those it factors right so um, anyways that's what will that's what I went with before that draft season and, and so far I don't see anything that necessarily has talked me out of that now Sam Darnold as much as I will even admit there the the reasons for him not succeeding can definitely be justified right I'm with you but if he doesn't succeed in 2021 with the Carolina Panthers and DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson and Christian McCaffrey and maybe they draft Kyle Pitts or whatever, they've got Joe Brady there calling the shots in terms of the offense and the scheme and stuff like that. I just think if this doesn't work, I am not willing to hear anything else. He's a bust. He just can't do it at this level if this doesn't work in 2021. Plain and simple. And I think the Carolina Panthers know that. I think um, if you look at the most recent history of something like this happens. A guy from Sam Darnold's same draft class, Josh Rosen was traded like this for what amounted to actually a second round pick exactly. And the dolphins gave him one year and basically called it a day, you know, so that should show you the long-term commitment that Carolina is giving Sam Darnold. It's not a long-term commitment. It's a come on in. We expect you to perform well right away. If you do, we'll probably sign you to a long-term deal. If you don't, We'll probably show you the door the same way we just showed Teddy Bridgewater the door. We gave him $63 million in, in what was it, like 30-something, $35 million in guaranteed money, $15 million to sign. And they still showed Teddy the door. So that's something I can respect about David Tepper and the way he's able to conduct his business. By the way, David Tepper is one of, if not the richest owner in all of football. So that, that should be considered in all this. He doesn't care. He just wants to win. He's just used to winning, obviously, right? He's worth like $15 billion. He is a guy that wants to win, and he wants to win right now, and he understands that you're going to need a, a legitimate franchise quarterback to do that. So let's see what we have in Sam Darnold. Let's see if we can get to that upside that we know that he has. If it doesn't show up, we're just going to pull the plug, right? So, so that's why I would say, while I don't think it's necessarily likely that Carolina will be drafting a quarterback at eight, I wouldn't say you should completely take that off the table. I don't think that that's, you know, something that is completely impossible, right? So, and and also one other thing I want to touch on with Sam Darnold, if he fails, let's just say he sucks next year. He's just awful. The Panthers are 2-14. and 14. Well, that's okay because that puts, like, if he sucks that bad, then Carolina will likely be sitting in the top two or three picks, and hopefully that means they can land their, their next franchise quarterback in the next draft. So, I think that's kind of a, a way of hedging this without actually trying. You're not tanking, but you're saying, hey, if he sucks that bad, we should be in a position to draft their next one anyways, right? So whereas if you're a team like the Miami Dolphins, your defense is so good and the other parts of your team are so good, you're not necessarily afforded that luxury with Tua because Tua's not going to suck that bad. He's going to be meh, decent. You know, he's not going to throw like 10 picks a game, but – I think when that, like, even if Tua sucks, you're winning seven games, six games if you're Miami. You know, with whereas Carolina, if they suck, I could see a world where they only win three or four, you know, two, three, four games. But um, that young defense should be getting better, so I'm excited about that, though. But let's talk about Teddy Bridgewater. So I believe he has $10 million in guaranteed 2021 base salary. So what that means is that Teddy doesn't have to take any reduction in pay or he doesn't have to agree to any contract restructuring whatsoever. He's getting his money. The only way that could change is if Teddy says, hey, I'm willing to bet on myself similar to what Ryan Tannehill did. I'm willing to say 
forget this money, cut my salary in half. So instead of that $17 million total salary, I'll play for nine, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, maybe the nine is still guaranteed. So he's not taking some crazy thing. But the point I'm making is this, Teddy, if he wanted to do that, and it, and it got him to a place where he would openly go to, like say the New Orleans Saints, where he knows he would have an opportunity to start, I think Teddy would consider that, right? If it was a smaller pay cut, but it was like a, you know, if I hit here, I'm the guy, right? I'm, I'm their franchise quarterback. That's what, Te- in my opinion, that's what I think Teddy Bridgewater wants to be. He wants to be a starter. He does not want to be a backup. And um, I think personally, he is the perfect compete to start level quarterback slash high end backup. You know, like if the Houston Texans were to get him, that certainly makes sense um, for them because he's not a guy with some crazy amount of money that you owe him that where you're, you know, that you're not going to draft a quarterback, you know? So I think that that's something to, uh, to definitely be considered. I think Teddy, if he's willing to take a pay cut, he may even be able to command a fourth round pick or something like that for Carolina. If he's not willing to take a pay cut, I think the most compensation he'll be getting back is a six or seven, maybe a fifth rounder, maybe. Maybe you could do like a next year four, get that four back for next year. That would actually be brilliant on the part of the Panthers if they said, hey, don't worry about anything this year. Give us that four back next year so we can recoup that. That makes sense. Um, anyways, let's get into the Deshaun Watson stuff. All right, so I'm not going to get too deep into this, but something I just want to say to get this off my chest. There are so many people, like any any tweet that's pertaining to this Deshaun Watson thing, there are so many people that – know the answer like these know-it-all people that are like Deshaun Watson's innocent Deshaun Watson's guilty it's like dude first of all the only people that know are Deshaun Watson and these and these women that's it like don't don't tell me that you know because you know I saw some brutal comments on both sides of it right Deshaun Watson's you know uh, whatever you want to say about him and then you was on the other end of it you hear like the women are gold digging whores like it's crazy man like you gotta just sit this one out guys like for real sit it out let the process play out and then when it's all said and done then you know let your opinion out there if you must but i would say just shut up for a lot of us right we don't know anyways um is he tradable now and i know that sounds insensitive of me to to try and like work this into here but I think it matters right we're talking about business part of football and the NFL football so when I look at Deshaun Watson before all this happened we uh, we talked about this I said as a Panther fan I would be happy to give away three ones and three starters I think some I, I said something like that right point is I would have done that. I would have done that. Most certainly. Three ones, three starters. Let's just say that, right? Three high-level starters, three mid-range to high-level starters. I would have been okay giving that away. I think David Tepper would have been also. Now, what you have to consider yourself is now, okay, let's say we trade for him now. We talked to Deshaun about this legal stuff. We believe him, right? Now, we know that there's still legitimate risk associated with this trade. So instead of all that compensation, three ones and three starters, we'll give you a first-round pick. If you're the Panthers, that's the eighth overall pick, right? So when you look at it like that, and and I'm not just saying this for the Panthers, but for anybody, if you say we'll give you a first-round pick 
maybe a conditional if he's on our roster in 2022 and he plays x amount of games we'll you know we'll give you another one a future one or whatever it might be but if it's something like that i would at least consider it i i'm gonna try personally to only give you conditional stuff like maybe you know maybe a second rounder this year and then a conditional one next year or whatever because you should have hopefully the answers by that point and but I think that from the Texan standpoint, they're only gonna do a trade like that if they're getting guaranteed compensation because the only way that conditional, quote unquote conditional part of it hits for them is if Deshaun Watson's innocent. And if Deshaun Watson's innocent, well then Deshaun Watson's worth three picks, three first rounders plus some, right? Three first rounders and starters. So that's the interesting part of it. So that's why I think that most likely. If he were to be sold, if he were to be traded for now, you would probably have to give away a first round pick and probably not even anything conditional, maybe a conditional third or something like that, just to make the Texans feel a little bit better if he comes out to be completely innocent. But I think all in all, you'll have to say, give me my, like if the Texans are like, give me my compensation now, we don't want to deal with having this guy on our team. You know, I think that would be something that that is possible. Now, I what I ultimately think is going to happen is I don't think he'll be traded right now. I think he'll be sitting there as a quote-unquote member of the Houston Texans team, but I do believe this is looking an awful lot like he'll at least be on the commissioner's exemplist for most, if not all, of the 2021 season. Now, that's not me saying that I think he's guilty or innocent. That's me saying I don't know if we'll have the answers to all that, and I think the most likely course of action would be the commissioner's exemplus. We saw that exact same situation happen with my, as a Panther fan, Greg Hardy, former player of ours. He had that, you know, everybody knows about that situation with that young woman. And he, I believe, got that one resolved quickly by giving her whatever amount of money she wanted. And um, then he was on the commissioner's exemplus. The Panthers actually paid him that franchise tag money the entire year, commissioner's exemplus, you know, and then also, and then he's gone. So from that standpoint with Deshaun Watson, that's what I see happening unless there's some crazy groundbreaking evidence that either says he's guilty or innocent um, and swings the excuse me, swings the case in one which way or the other. So I think that if that were to happen, um, you know, I think that's kind of the safest play on all parties. I think he'll stay with Houston, but um, after that, who knows? So Anyways, let's go ahead and get into the – I want to talk about this because I think it's something that we always, like, get into, right? Like, you know, we need a receiver, so let's draft one in the third round. Like, if we didn't draft a receiver in the first, second round, we'll draft one in the third. Whatever it might be, I'm going to go over. Last year, the 2020 NFL draft was a quote-unquote historical draft class for wide receivers. It really was. I mean, you look at it, you know, we've, we've had – what do we have? One, two, three, four, five, six in the first round – one, two, three, four, five, six, seven in the second round. So that's 13 wide receivers were drafted in the first two rounds. That is insane, okay? Of those receivers, what did they do, you say? Well, we know Justin Jefferson went crazy. 88 catches for 1,400 yards and seven touchdowns. Unbelievable. As I've stated many times, I was clearly wrong about Justin Jefferson. He is a phenomenal, phenomenal player. Okay, let's look at – I'm just going to go break down each player by player. Henry Ruggs had the first receiver selected, the 12th overall pick. 
had 26 catches for 452 yards and two touchdowns. It's an average of 17.4 yards per catch, which is pretty good. But ultimately, a, a top 12 pick being under 500 receiving yards as a rookie is not necessarily great, right? It's not, I'd say it's somewhat disappointing. Jerry Judy was the second receiver selected at 15th overall, 52 catches, 856 yards, and three touchdowns. That's 16.5 yards of reception, which is awesome. And, uh, you know, almost as good as rugs there. And 52 catches, so solid 856 yards. That's pretty damn good, right? You should feel comfortable about Jerry Judy being a guy that's going to return value on that draft selection for years to come, at least as of right now. 17th overall pick, the third receiver selected, CeeDee Lamb, was the most impressive out of these three for sure, and uh, and the most impressive really out of any of these first-rounders outside of Justin Jefferson, 74 catches, 935 yards, 12.6 yards per catch, and five touchdowns. So C.D. Lamb, I think his role is obviously going to expand as the um, as the years go on, especially after this year, unless an injury happens to somebody this year. But I think he'll, he could potentially, I mean, he almost had 1,000 yards last year, so I think he could definitely have 1,000 this year and then every year thereafter most likely. So I, I like C.D. Lamb. It's obviously looking like a hit so far for Dallas. Jalen Rieger was the next one taken, 21st overall, fourth receiver drafted, 31 catches, 396 yards, and one touchdown, an average of 12.8 yards a catch. So, meh, you know, and yeah, he missed some games with injury, but I'm not ready to give up on him at all yet. I'm just saying, overall, you have to say it's somewhat disappointing rookie campaign for him. And then Brandon Ayuk, the last first round receiver. So the one, two, three, four, five, six. Or no, I'm sorry. Justin Jefferson is the next one. 22nd overall pick the pick after Jalen Rieger, which still haunts Eagles fans. 88 catches, 1,407 touchdowns. Then you got Brandon Ayuk, 25th overall, six receiver taken, 60 catches for 748 and five touchdowns. Ayuk missed some games, I believe. And that was kind of the, you know, he was having a really good season. I think he looks like a hit. So I think out of these guys, right, even though you could say one, two, three, four of the six are guaranteed hits, right, or it looks like that so far, you know, there are also two that even in a historical great class that disappointed, at least as rookies. I'm not sticking a fork and I'm saying they're done yet. I'm just saying so far, so not so good. But let's look at the second round, guys. T. Higgins, the first pick of the second round, 67 catches, 908 yards, and six touchdowns, average over 13 and a half yards per catch. So that's a really good rookie season. As a matter of fact, that so far is the second or third best one out of all these guys after Jefferson and CeeDee Lamb. So T. Higgins looking like a hit so far for Cincinnati. Um, Michael Pittman, 40 for 503 and a touchdown. LaVisca Chenault, second rounder, 58 for 605 touchdowns, only 10.3 yards a catch, which is not great from a wide receiver. 46 overall pick KJ Hamler, 30 catches, 381 and three scores. And yes, he did miss some games, but you know, still not the most impressive thing from a, a speedster, only averaging 12.7 yards a catch in KJ Hamler. But I think he'll have a better season this year. I like KJ coming out. Um, Chase Claypool, the next one, surprised me. 62 catches, 873 yards, average over 14 yards a catch, and nine touchdowns. I believe that's the most of any of these guys. Yeah, that's the most by any rookie. So that was a nice rookie campaign for Chase Claypool. Somebody I thought was going to come in right away and be a, a good performer for the Rams is Van Jefferson, who was the next one off the board. 19 catches only for 220 and one touchdown. Now, I do think Van Jefferson just found himself behind a slightly better player as as a rookie in terms of Van Jefferson being a rookie in um, the uh, 
the hell is the kid's name? I can't remember his name. But the third receiver for the Rams last year. Point is, I think Van Jefferson will have a much better season this year and beyond, but only 19 for 220 in a score. That's not great. Denzel Mims missed some games. He was the last one taken in the second round. 23 for 357, no touchdowns, but did average almost, or about 15 and a half yards per catch. The third round receiver, Devin Duvernay, 20 for 201, zero touchdowns. And then you've got Gabriel Davis, some other noteworthy guys, not everybody, but other noteworthy guys. You've got Gabriel Davis, 35 catches, 599 yards, 17.1 yards of catch, and seven touchdowns. And then Darnell Mooney in the fifth round, phenomenal value, 61 catches, 631 yards, and four touchdowns. So I think when you look at that, obviously Gabriel Davis and Darnell Mooney, great values. I think the best value would be, you know, I mean, Justin Jefferson, because he's having elite level production as a rookie and as a guy that you didn't even take that early, 22nd overall. That's the best value in the whole damn draft, in my opinion, for wide receiver. Okay. I would also say Chase Claypool's up there with nine touchdowns. But the point I'm making all this for, guys, is because I want to say, even in a historically deep wide receiver pool, we have exactly one guy that he, that had a, that caught a thousand receiving yards or more as a rookie. One. Okay. So now we do have, let's see, one, two, two guys, two additional players that had over 900 yards, and that's CeeDee Lamb and um, T. Higgins. And then we had some guys over 800. So the, the point I'm making is, yeah, there were good players as rookies, but this is another reason why you don't draft for need. And if you do draft for need, you don't limit the need to what you need in, in immediately this year, right? Meaning the Buffalo Bills knew when they traded number 22, I believe it was, for Stephon Diggs, they knew for a fact they were getting a 1,000-plus yard receiver from day one. You can't say that about any rookie wide receiver. Henry Ruggs, the 12th overall pick, first receiver drafted last year, had 452 yards, didn't even have 500. Didn't even have 500 yards. And only one of these guys had a thousand, Justin Jefferson. So when we look at needs, we don't need to look at needs for the immediate need necessarily. We need to look at the immediate need and maybe the need, if we're looking for needs at all, the needs of over the next two, three years. Like who are some, you know, are we going to have three receivers in 2022 that are set to become free agents? You know, are, are we going to have that? Like, for example, the Detroit Lions right now. Kenny Galladay is a free agent. They lost him. Marvin Jones, I believe, is a free agent. And um, Danny Amendola is a free agent. So, like, right now, they're in a situation where I think the only receiver they had was Quintez Cephas, you know, to be still under contract in 2022. So maybe they should have been looking for more receivers last year in the deepest receiving draft ever, right? So that makes sense. But, yeah, I just want to say, like, when we're looking at the draft and we're looking at it from – I know inevitably we're all going to look at it from a needs standpoint to some extent. I know I did it yesterday when I was making that mock draft. The point is, though, we need to just try to expand our needs to not just what we immediately need because oftentimes with draft picks, particularly guys that you don't take in the first round, you're not going to get that need filled immediately. As a rookie. So I think that's something we need to consider. And um, yeah, guys, appreciate you for listening to the podcast. That's going to be the end of this one. And I'll be back tomorrow with some more. Peace.